You are listening to Talking Images, the official podcast of icmforum.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Chris, and uh, it's festival season. Now, this, this might be a little bit of a rougher episode than uh, usual because we'll be rushing to get it out. We're in the midst of ICM FF 2020. Three weeks in, one week left at the time of recording. And it's, at least for me, been a blast so far. And we want to make sure that this is out as soon as the festival is over and that everyone can hear about these movies as soon as possible. For those who are not aware what ICM FF is, it is the ICM Forum Festival, or more specifically, the ICM Forum Film Festival. This is one of the greatest strengths of ICM Forum, at least for me, and honestly one of the highlights of my cinematic year. And I can't say enough good things about our programmers. Unfortunately, none of them could be with us today. I would have loved to ask them so many questions about the preparation they put into this work because they genuinely work for about seven, eight months of the year to find and compare and assess films for our program. So it just hats off to them. They've done an incredible, incredible job. Now, we have one main slate consisting of 10 films as well as nine full subcategories. Art House, Animation, Europe, Latin America, Africa and Asia, Indie, Just Before Dawn, Documentary, and LGBTQ. And it's just extraordinary. You have the entire forum coming together, watching these films, dividing them up, joining in on the slates that are the most exciting to them. And just so many films are discovered every single year. Now, for this episode, we have two official jurors for the main slate uh, section, one of them being me, the other one being Mathieu, and one participant, Tom. So we will get a bit of a uh, pretty wide-ranging discussion here. We've all seen well over 20 films from the selection so far. So we'll be going through our favorites, our highlights, just talking about how the festival is going in general, as well as cover the entire main slate. So uh, I'll just uh, turn to my co-host and uh, just get this conversation going by just asking, uh, how is the festival going for you guys? Hi. Well, it's going very well, I would, I would I should say. Uh, it's my first time participating this year, and it's been a really good time. I've discovered a bunch of really good films, and I really appreciate the, the variety in terms of the selection by the programmers. So yeah, I've been having a lot of fun with it. Hi, this is Tom. Uh, like Matthew, this is also my first time participating in the festival. I'm also really enjoying it. It's great to see such a diverse selection of films from all areas of the world and films that perhaps I wouldn't usually be checking out, but I'm really enjoying. So yeah, it's going really well so far. Yeah, I really can't say enough about just how diverse this setting is. I think we have a selection of uh, programmers with very diverse taste, and what happens to get shortlisted is essentially that you just need to get a certain amount of general approval for them, meaning that you know you get so many different tastes uh, matching in, and the main slate is usually such a, a nice eclectic mix too. Uh, what uh, what is for you the greatest film you've seen from the main slate? Um, so for me, my favorites would be uh, Ruben Brandt's Collector, animated film from Hungary. I don't know if you want me to go in, into it more, or no, we can jump into those a little bit, uh, a little bit later. Yeah. What's your favorite, Tom? My favorite is also from the main slate, which is Invisible Life, which 
was an incredible experience. I'm looking forward to discussing that. Perfect. And my favorite uh, was, unsurprisingly, Martin Eden, which involved two films that I'd seen just before the festival. Uh, so, <laughs> and, and all are discussed at length in uh, the top five films of 2019. So we probably won't be diving as deep into that. And as uh, Tom already said, his favorite film from the entire uh, slate was from the main slate. But is that the same for you, Mathieu? Or is any of the films from the other sections uh, standing out better for you? Uh, no, Robin Brandt is my favorite overall. Though, I mean, there, there is another film that I watched very recently uh, of another section that I, I loved as well, Lilo Trésor, Treasure Island. But, uh, but yeah, Robin Brandt is my favorite overall. What about you, Chris? Say for me, actually, Martin Eden is my favorite overall, though. Um, yeah. th- there are a couple of really big films that uh, were on my top 10 of uh, 2018 as well, which are uh, Long Day's Journey into Night and The Birds of Passage, both films I'd seen before the festival, too. But yeah, the main slate this year was exceptionally strong, I think. So let's just dive straight into them. In the order it's actually presented uh, in uh, the program, starting with Martin Eden on uh, top, which I think all of us discussed to death in that in that episode. But just for a recap for everyone else, I think what really stands out in this film is just the unique style that the director, Pietro Marcello, has built up over his career, which is this type of slightly saturated cinematography uh, and, and a bit of a distanced essayesque style which at the same time is this you know historical epic and character portrait so you are simultaneously exploring this what you could say is a deeply personal drama but it's distanced just slightly put at edge which is the play on color integration with some documentary elements and footage giving it a bit of poetical edge uh, to the to the extent that you kind of Judge, know that you're judging the film. There's this Brechtian distance where you're simultaneously immersed in the film, but judging the film on the sideline, which works really well as this is not a straightforward character drama, but a satire on individualism. So it just makes it much clearer. It's much easier to assess and just judge everything and also just get consumed in this, this very poetic visual style that uh, Mar- Marcelo has uh, created. So definitely highly recommended from me. Yeah, I enjoyed Martin Eden a lot, uh, as I said already on, in that other podcast. Uh, one thing I would just add to what you said, Chris, is the performance by the, the lead actor, Luca Marinelli. Uh, he's, I mean, he's been good in other films, but I think his, this is really his best role, I think, uh, at least as far as what I've seen. I agree that it's a very striking film, visually and stylistically. The story did intrigue me initially, although I found that towards the latter part of the film, when it becomes more embroiled in the politics of the era, it lost me at that point. It's a film I appreciated more than I enjoyed, but I can certainly see why it it resonates so strongly with uh, you guys. And yeah, I think that's more the general criticism we're getting from uh, a lot of people who are not loving it as well. So I think that's a bit of an Achilles heel. If if you have a bit of an interest in uh, politics or philosophy, uh, especially of that era, and you see it, you know, it's allusions to both the rise of uh, the socialist movement and the fascist movement, uh, etc. Fascist movement being mostly in documentary footage fitted in. I think you get more into it than if you don't have a big interest in it and that means it can be a bit more hit or miss than maybe i'd like but moving on to a film that's definitely been more hit and miss 
a Russian youth, which uh, I know that uh, Mathieu and I disagreed on <laughs> quite a bit. Though I, I, I can certainly see why. So for those who don't know, this was actually a exercise in non-profit filmmaking. Uh, it, it's made in association with uh, the Alexander Sukhorov uh, Foundation. Uh, and it's also clearly inspired by Sukhorov's visual style. It's very... Um, Listen, the, the aesthetics are very stripped back. It's, it's a bit of a this striking, stripping down effect that gives the impression of the film being slightly older. It's set in World War One, and as you can tell, it follows a Russian youth. And I think one of the things that's most distracting and didn't quite work for me in the beginning, but worked long term, is the fact that it is composed or shot as it was composed simultaneously with films of a modern day orchestra uh, playing music at the same time as the film is happening and uh, what do you think of that effect Mathieu? So as far as the, the Rashmaninov of it goes I found it mostly to be a distraction I mean early on I thought this is interesting I mean we're putting in context this these pieces of music which as it turns out it's two different pieces um, one of them was uh, written before World War One, and the other one before World War Two, And that sounds interesting in theory, but I think in practice it just doesn't really work in the film, at least not for me. Uh, it's very um, dissonant. I mean, you hear a lot of the, the rehearsal process, right? The, the idea being that maybe the orchestra is trying to score the film as it goes. But yeah, it just didn't cohere into something that worked for me. Which is a shame because I did enjoy the film in terms of, it, of its narrative parts. Um, I think as the aesthetic you described works really well and it really makes it feel like a film of that era, a film made after World War I but before World War II, right? Uh, like The Big Parade or something. I mean, there's this look which also recalls the recent documentary by Peter Jackson, um, They Shall Not Grow Old, in terms of the look of you know, colorized pictures from the era. I think that's very effective. But yeah, the the meta aspect did not really work for me. Yeah, I can easily see that. I did struggle with that in the beginning too. I, I can't say enough good things about visual style. I think it's uh, very striking, very unusual and very evocative, especially as, as you kind of get close to the Russian youth's face and you see him uh, in various stages of struggling. It, it, it can get quite emotionally in, in intense. I think what did work for me with the, with the orchestra is that you, you can kind of see them reacting as well. So you do have these meta elements where they are watching the footage or it's shot as if they're watching the footage, they're thinking about it, they're reacting to it. And this should be a bit of a cooler show effect as well, but you can kind of read into their faces that, you know, they are feeling the pain of the main character or they're, they're feeling the situation and, and they're trying to, to think of how to how to score it. And of course, it's a fairly young band too. So I guess in terms of Russian youth, it could be seen as, you know, Russian youth of today and the Russian youth of then. But it, it, it is a bit disjointed. I do think it's actually one of the weaker points of the film as well, because it's shot so differently. You have this standard digital modern shot of, of the orchestra and then you have you know the very beautiful aesthetics of the past and then it's also uh, just the fact that I, I don't really think the film as it stands as in the main story 
as it's shot and told would work that well without the orchestra. It would have to have far more scenes because it is really stripped down, really. It's just like if you see the opening scenes, for instance, it's almost entirely the orchestra playing and just this young boy going over a hill, for instance. So, so I think it, it might have been a, a very tin film without it. Yeah, the story is really basic. That, that's definitely the case. Kind of reminiscent of, uh, of um, Comancy in, in its structure of it, but yeah, much more, as you said, stripped down. I just never felt a connection with um, orchestra. It, it never felt to me like they were really reacting emotionally. It felt like it was just another rehearsal. <laughs> but uh, maybe it's because of the stylistic differences. I don't know. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And I think this is also one of the films gotten a bit mixed review. I see some people who really loved it. A lot of people in my range really appreciated it, uh, thought it was a good or great film. And then you also have people in your camp, Mathieu, who just didn't think that mix worked uh, well or at all. So I think it's uh, it's interesting to see uh, a film that gets such uh, diverse and mixed uh, reception. Well, I wasn't that, I mean, I wasn't that strongly against it. I, I did mostly enjoy it Overall, I, I gave it a just mildly positive score. Um, I just think that one aspect of it, which is important, of course, uh, didn't work that way. But I, I, did, I didn't hate it. I, I didn't dislike it even. Very, very good. And one, uh, the next film is one that I think got a bit more of an even score, uh, with people largely agreeing on its strengths and weaknesses, which, which is also quite interesting, which is uh, Schools Out. Which is a bit of a, I guess, mixture of psychological thrillers and dark comedy about a teacher entering in a highly achieving class, essentially the elite class separated from all of the other uh, students, and who's starting to realize that something is wrong with with this class, or at least certain members of it. This was the first film that I chose to watch from the festival, and. I went into it knowing absolutely nothing, just trusting in the taste of the programmers. And I think that I was rewarded by that. And it gave me confidence that the rest of the program was going to be really exciting to explore. I loved the ominous atmosphere of this film. Like you said, Chris, it's kind of a a psychological thriller that plays around with um, the notions of intelligent school children and almost like a kind of cult aspect to it in how they act and how they behave i got um i think you can compare it to a picnic at hanging rock oh yeah got very similar vibes the the kind of mystery aspect and there are parts of it which which are quite creepy and i had a really good time with this it's a film that i perhaps wouldn't have even heard of were it not for the festival so it was a, a great start it really hit the sweet spot for me so contrary to Tom, it's actually one of the films I was most familiar with in the main slate, even though I hadn't seen it, because it had gotten a pretty good uh, critical reception here in France, and I had just missed it in theatres. It's also a film that, for my context, is kind of, uh, <laughs> it plays in different ways, I think, both because A, I'm a teacher, so <laughs> much like the main character here, and also because um, teachers being afraid of their students is kind of a subject right now in France. Uh, for people who don't, you know, read the news, um, there was a teacher who was killed by a student a few, you know, now a month ago. And it was, uh, as you can imagine, a big thing. And so it was a little strange watching this film in, in this context. Maybe it made it even more effective because it really is 
this psychological thriller, and it's about radicalization, essentially. Even though it's not the kind of radicalization we talk about in the news often, it's, it's still that. And you, you mentioned Picnic at Hanging Rock, which I sadly haven't seen. The film I thought about also was uh, Nocturama. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that one. Bertrand Bonello film. Oh, oh yeah, I, I see the comparison. Yeah, I love Nocturama. I like this one. I think one of the elements that was kind of divisive in the reception here was the ending. Actually, I, I'm not going to go into it, of course, but I was not as a huge fan of the ending. Some of the jurors liked the build-up to it less than I did, but liked the ending more. So I guess that's a, a point of difference. I think it's really effective when it's in this mood, this very, how would you say, foreboding mood. Oh, yes. And Laurent Lafitte is, is great in the main role. I mean, he's generally a very good actor, but quite good here. Even though the the steps, uh, decisions his character makes are quite unprofessional, <laughs> in my opinion, but uh, it makes for a good movie anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I think in the end, it's it's an effective psychologi- psychological thriller that maybe falters a bit in the end for me, but still is just that mood is so strong and it's most of the film. So I, I, quite, I quite like it. Yeah, I agree completely about the mood. I think the mood is what really sells it. I think I didn't enjoy it quite as much as some of you, perhaps, but uh, that is partially because it, is, it did struggle a little bit to really get into it from the beginning, where, it's, where it feels more normal. It's just this kind of quirky, uh, yet another, you know, uh, teacher coming into a class and uh, finding some issues with that class and trying to figure out what's going on. But then, like, within half an hour uh, into it, you, you're all starting to feel that ominous uh, presence. And that just grows and grows and grows until I'm sure the climax, and I'm not going into anything in the last act of the film, but you really feel the intensity. You don't know what's going on. You don't even know who you're meant to be uh, afraid for or, or off. And, and it's... Um, it's really interesting that it managed to just make you, you feel so uneasy and also just how well the children are working with her to just make them so unnerving. I know a lot of uh, jurors compared it to Children of the Corn. <laughs> so I, I think just the children themselves are just so effective with very little tools. Uh, there's very little overt happening here. It's not one of those films which is a horror film or, or does something excessive. It's all just these notions and ideas that build up and build up and make you terribly uneasy. I really appreciated the dynamic between the teacher and the school children. I think that's what makes it work so well from my point of view. Uh, the fact that he really struggles to, to get to grips with what's going on and enters into this strange mystery. Uh, like you said, Chris, it is kind of a familiar story, but it goes down some unusual routes and ends in a climax that works really well for me. I was taken aback and, and quite surprised with the direction it decided to go in. Yeah, and one thing I should add about um, the creepiness of the children is that the way the film is written in terms of the language they use they use this very formal way of speaking that even in a very fancy school like this, it's still strange. <laughs> it still sounds strange, which I think adds to the, to your empathy, I think, with the teacher. And in that sense, it kind of lets you go into the rabbit hole with him, even though as the film progresses, it kind of becomes unclear 
if he's overreacting or not. And I think that works really well by kind of implicating the audience from the start by making us think, oh, these children are definitely weird and making us then question it a little later. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's quite effective in that way. You're completely right. I think it also plays into the feeling of you know these children feeling so superior to their teacher uh, and making instantly uh, sympathize. Uh, one thing I'm not sure if we be able to sympathize with the protagonists or any of the protagonists, but um, and it's also one of the films which perhaps got the most lukewarm or negative uh, reception is Yalikato. Which I actually quite quite liked, <laughs> and uh, I'm like one of the people who liked the most. Who I didn't love it, and it's a deeply flawed, flawed film, which is really just about a bunch of men chasing after a bull through the forest. That's more or less what it is. Essentially, a bull runs away, causes enormous destruction, and the entire village takes up. The chase with increasingly extreme antics. Um, so I'll move the floor over to you, and then I'll give uh, my opinion afterwards. That's a great introduction to the film, Chris. I think I agree with you in that I kind of was underwhelmed by it, um, to say the least. It's a fascinating assault on the senses, the visuals, and the music combined to create this um, unforgettable experience but the narrative is lacking and it is as you say essentially just a group of people chasing a bull through the forest for an hour and a half or however long it is it is shot incredibly well um but yeah it's lacking that substance to it to to really elevate it to the level that it's looking for yeah, it's kind of interesting to talk about this one right after Lord de la Sortie, because they're both thrillers, <laughs> but uh, where one is very quiet and uh, uh, foreboding, this one is just all chaos all the time. And I, I actually, so I didn't like it, but it's it's interesting. I, I, I don't think, I think it manages what it wants to do decently. It's just that I'm not super interested in what it wants to do, which is to basically show you um, very shocking things. I mean, uh, it's kind of like, or oh, look at how bad humanity is. And okay, mm-hmm. sure. But to me, that kind of, it's kind of like arguing about that free will doesn't exist. What's the point? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> it, it's, uh, there are other aspects of the films that don't work super well. Um, the acting, I don't think is great. It's always hard to say, of course, no. when we don't know the language, but. Uh, a lot of it is just kind of shouting, um, that it's, yeah, it doesn't feel that real necessarily. Not that I'm, it, it's always supposed to. I don't know. It's, it's definitely an intense experience. And I think, I think it, 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 even though it is my least favorite of the, of the main slate, I don't think it's a failure. I, th- I think it, it, for some people, it might be a really good one to recommend even. If you want, yeah, if, if you like really intense, Cinema, really dark cinema. Maybe it's one for you, but yeah, it didn't really, it wasn't my thing. I, I mean, I, I can definitely see where you're coming from. I mean, I think it's meant to be a more comedic element here as well, and it does get ridiculous uh, with a lot of the shouting, a lot of the fighting, but it just seems so thin. There's some bizarre jokes there, for instance, where one character is swearing and it just turns into bird chirper. So it, it, it feels sillier than it should be, and it does that part of it just does not work at all, at least not for me. But 
at, at the same time, I'm so happy that this film was chosen for the festival because I, there's no way I would have seen this film uh, otherwise. And I really want to uh, throw my hands up for the director, um, Leo Jose Pileseri, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, because I think he's been close to capturing a degree of, uh, let's say, cinematic extremity just visually and viscerally. I mean, this is one of the most intense films ever made. I mean, it's almost like a rhythmic thriller or action film where you just follow this massive, massive amounts of people through the forest. I mean, the compositions of, I, I, I have to guess hundreds, maybe maybe it's just 50 to 100 people, but this, it feels, the scope feels so huge, especially when you have people with lights running through the forests flame set up this massive encampment and you, you kind of just on the floor with them the, the camera always moving it, it's just this loud chaotic manifestation of you know the animalistic and primitive within man if you want to be a little bit poetic about it, it it's, it's just so it's incredibly intense there's this pure chaotic mess that's still composed so well uh, like I, I was just I mean, yes, every single time it gets silly or you get these really weird uh, off-putting moments. Uh, it did take me out of the film and it stopped me from thinking of it as a great film. But just that visual element, it, it just works so, so well, at least for me. Yeah, I think there's definitely talent there. Uh, I think there are some shots, like um, a shot at the bottom of the well when you have all the lights and you're looking at it from the dawn perspective. Um, yeah, I, th I think it's, he's definitely an interesting director. And apparently he's made other films that are somewhat acclaimed. So, I love the description of the chaotic, relentless action. And even though it's a film that I didn't particularly enjoy, it's one that I'll never forget. Some films that you, you don't enjoy just fade out of memory and you forget about them because there's no redeeming features, nothing remarkable. But this one, although it wasn't a brilliant film, I will never forget it because it was definitely a fascinating experience. And moving on to the next film, which I think is also a film that's gotten a bit of a lukewarm reception, although I think there are some fans, is uh, Harasusa, which is just this, uh, let me just say, beautifully shot film looking at, I suppose, paranoia and witchcraft in you know the the era where this was most apt and uh it's it's quite minimalistic very little is said it, it there are some absolutely fantastic visuals in there and i suppose uh, how well this film works uh, corresponds with just how you're gripped by the central performance and some of the uh more disturbing elements that that, that could go both ways yeah, again, talk about the contrast uh, <laughs> between this and the previous film. This is extremely quiet, extremely moody and tense, and it's beautifully shot, as you said. It's very much a, it's a student film. It's you know an end of a studies project, and I didn't know that watching it, but it kind of makes sense because you feel that this is a director who definitely is showing how good he is at creating images. They're creating lasting images and shocking images that really work in this horror genre and kind of influenced by the witch, I would guess. But in the end, it's a little lacking in terms of actually telling a story. I mean, there is a story being told, but it's just not that interesting. And there's a lot of, I, th I think the way it's shot gets very repetitive. The shots are, are held for a very long time. 
but it's not always clear exactly why, right? I think there can be a purpose in really letting you live in a scene, but when you do that every scene, it starts to get a little tiring. I agree that this story is a weak aspect of this film. Yeah, I also get the sensation that the director isn't particularly bothered as such about the story. He just wants to show off this beautiful, hallucinatory cinematography that works really well, but without this strong story to, to back it up, it does feel flawed. Although I've got to admire the ambition, and like you said, as this is the project for a student filmmaker, there's no doubt that he's going to go on to great things if he continues to make films in a similar vein and builds on this experience. Oh, oh yeah, I completely agree. I didn't know this was a uh, graduation film going in either, but learning about that afterwards, it, it, like, you, like you guys said, it made complete sense. And, and this, uh, For me, it wasn't really the story elements that damaged the film. It was the direct horror elements. And I'm not going to talk about how they're done, but it is when they pop in, they feel a bit clunky. When they're not there, you get this beautiful cinematography, fantastic shots, uh, and a quite brilliant mood. But when it goes more overt at times it just doesn't quite fit in with the rest at least for me uh, i also really want to highlight the underwater scene which is probably the most hallucinatory scene in the entire film which just plays with all of these colors especially red and it's just like this it's just incredibly gorgeous uh, gorgeously done i just think that the visuals the colors used by uh, lucas feigenfeld it's just incredible. And I think, yeah, if he continues in this vein and uh, perfects this style, he's going to go a long, long way. Yeah, it's definitely a film with striking images. It would it would maybe have made for a very good shot. Um, but yeah, it's promising. But as it is, I don't think it fully, fully works. No, yeah, it's definitely one of the weaker films of the festival uh, for me uh, as well. But moving on to, uh, I suppose one of the most acclaimed films from the festival and one of the most known films from the festival as well, Atlantics by uh, Mati Diop, which takes on the refugee crisis. And it, it is a Senegalese film following essentially a, a romance between a young girl and a man who's not suited uh, for her and he is going to uh, try to cross uh, the Atlantics and uh, try to get a better life while she will be pressured into a marriage. And it, it has this social realism aspect to it, but without spoiling too much, it goes into a very different direction. Uh, I'm not sure if you even want to spoil it, but let's say there is a bit of a magical realist element there that uh, it's very striking and for if you're not prepared for it, it kind of comes out of nowhere, but, but still works really, really well and it feels in incredibly intense. Though I also think there are a few, um, let's say, flaws in, in this film. What's your opinions about Atlantics? I really wanted to like Atlantics. I'd actually seen it prior to the festival and I had sought it out because of what I heard about it, these magical supernatural elements that you refer to, Chris, that we won't go into for those that, that haven't seen it. And it is a fascinating story. It's a culture that I'm not overly familiar with, so it was an interesting insight into the lives of these people. Um, yet when it made that transition to you know, become a slightly different story, it didn't really work well for me. Um, I wasn't sold on it. Um, it's still an interesting experience and one that I, I can certainly see why some people would enjoy, though it didn't quite work for me. 
Yeah, this is one I also saw long before the festival, in fact. I think I saw it when it came out uh, in theaters, and that was, I believe, uh, right as it was premiering in Cannes. It's one of those films that came out in theaters at the same time as, as Cannes. And it's a film that I feel very similarly to this film as I do to Claire Denis' uh, filmography in general. Uh, and this, there's a connection in that Mati Diop, the director here, well, uh, she was before known for acting in the Claire Denis film, Prince um, Synchrome, 35 Shots of Rome. Uh, and yeah, I feel similarly in that it's very interesting. I think there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff going on there. It's very competently done. I think it generally works. Uh, I did mostly enjoy it. I think there's something about looking at migration crisis, at the migration crisis from this angle, from this angle of the women left behind uh, and where all these young men are all leaving for, for Europe or trying to. I think that's a very interesting perspective and I think the film benefits from that. It just kind of leaves me a little cold. Um, I think it's maybe trying to do too many things at the same time and maybe not entirely succeeding at all of them. So, so yeah, I, I don't know. No, no, I can see ex exactly what you mean. And I, and I have this more realistic part of it. The first half is the, the strongest part to me. It, it's the most, one that resonates the most. I mean, it, it's a bit of a flip. Like It's not as extreme, but it's a bit like from dusk to dawn where it kind of becomes a completely different film. It takes a completely different element. I really enjoyed the magical realism of it, how restrained it was, how it, it worked with the effect of essentially very, very little and, and essentially tried to just show the impact of migration, impact of the loss of all, all of these uh, these men traveling uh, away and just bring in a kind of melancholy and just kind of, I, I guess, make it clear, make it larger in life in a way, just use magic in, in, the, in this way uh, to uh, really make its point and make it come home and make it more strong to viewers. I think it still worked. I think there's some critical elements in there that doesn't really work. Uh, some play with people who doesn't be believe this is hap happening. Uh, there's a detective trying to figure out what's happening and think that element could have been cut. I didn't really enjoy that part of it, but at least for me, it is a really strong film with uh, great use of emotions. I mean, again, it's a film I, I did like. I just, you know, didn't love it. Uh, didn't like it that much. I actually enjoyed the the cop aspect of it, uh, maybe because it broke broke a little bit the relative monotony of the rest of the film, which I enjoyed. But maybe it's it's part of the a bit of a structural problem. I don't know. But I think that part was not was kind of effective. I know. And moving on to a film we might disagree on quite a bit. It's uh, Arabi or Arabia which is set in uh, Brazil, start, it starts following a young man in a very working class community. Uh, a worker is hurt and his senpai is on to pick up some things for, for this person and he finds his uh, diary and he starts reading it. And it's kind of like his entry point into this uh, journeyman worker slash ex-criminal and how his view of on life changes. Now, personally, to me, it this is probably my least favorite film of the festival. Uh, it's a film that worked the least for me, but I know Mathieu has a very different reaction. So uh, I'll let him get the positive uh, feedback in there first. Yeah, I, I quite liked Arabia, and it makes for a great double feature with a film we'll talk about later. Um, I think what I really glommed onto with this one is the way that it's a film shaped like a folk song. And so it's this... It's this film that is telling the story of the Brazilian working class, essentially, from the perspective of 
one guy with there's a bit of a framing narrative at the first but at, at the start but then we see this this man's life in terms of vignettes right in where he he has worked in different industries in different places he's kind he's kind of the this idea of the working man the proletariat right the guy who only has his body to work with he has no particular qualifications and so he is trying to make things work as things go and it's a very precarious lifestyle and you have these political themes that are into it but it's also very poetic um i think the way it's shot especially it's gorgeous maybe maybe the best looking film in the whole slate i think yeah i think so um particularly that, that first shot in the in the mountains where you have this this kid riding a bike it's just gorgeous and and i think again it's it's a film that's all about mood for me again that that again that folk song mood and it's using a lot of brazilian folk songs as its soundtrack and so yeah i i, I quite enjoyed this one it's not my favorite of the main slate but yeah i was surprised that it wasn't that well received generally uh, i think i liked it the most out of all the jurors but yeah i would recommend it if that sounds appealing I think I have to say that you know your take on the film uh, makes it seem a, a lot more exciting than uh, essentially the film I, I, I saw. <laughs> no, I, I mean uh, I, I agree completely with the opening shot. I think that was beautiful. I love the music used there, and it kind of <laughs> so I, I think it kind of broke a very different film as well. The film honestly felt very disjointed to me, where. I, I was starting to enjoy the story of the teenager, and then I get pushed into this more fragmented uh, story of the worker. And I can see what you mean in terms of the political commentary, the social commentary. Some of that worked quite well. I think those are the strongest elements in it, but I really didn't get caught up in the atmosphere or the visuals at, at all. I mean, I, I think it, it felt rather flat to me, to, to be completely honest. It, it felt just like a certain moments of this person's life told through his diary text, but without that kind of impact uh, that would have brought me into it. But I, I do like what you say in, in terms of it being written and done as a folk song and about just displaying this idea of the, the broader working class in terms of uh, both the, the teenager and this man and the community around them and, and this person's journey. But for, for me, as in terms of just how it worked as a story and the storytelling and the general craft, it, it just didn't really work that well for me. It, it's not a bad film, but it's the, the film I uh, enjoy the least. Yeah, I think because it's so episodic uh, in terms of its storytelling, it can be a little hard to get into. I, I can definitely see that. But jumping on from that one to, I guess, the film that you pair it with, Invisible Life, which yeah. is actually my favorite film of the, the, the main slate. It's also set in Brazil and, and it's also uh, set in terms of the working class. So here focusing on two women, more specifically two sisters. Uh, so uh, I, I think I'm going to let you do the intro for this because I think your comparison here was uh, quite apt. Well, I would argue, actually, it's more um, the middle class. I think that's why it's an interesting contrast between Arabia and this one, because this one, well, it, it takes place in the in the 50s, or at least it starts in the 50s. And yeah, it's more of the middle class, and where Arabia is working class male perspective, this is middle class female perspective. And it's 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 just a great melodrama. It's I think the tagline for the film is a tropical melodrama. And yeah, that's exactly what it is. And... It also has a bit of a, 
kind of classical uh, theme in that the main character is named Eurydice, and that's the name of the wife of Orpheus in the myth of Orpheus. And it's very interesting because these two characters, they, you know, they're women living in Brazil in the 50s, which is, they come from a pretty conservative family, and that's going to make life pretty tough for them, basically. One of them essentially escapes, but it turns out that life for a single woman is quite difficult. And the other one stays into that, and it's difficult for her as well. And so because you have this character named Eurydice, you're kind of, at least I was thinking during the film, well, which one of them is going to be rescued from hell? Like, which one of them is in hell in, in this in this film? And it's not really clear, because both of their situations are quite quite difficult. But it's also not a depressing film for me, maybe because of the way it's shot. It's shot using these colors very effectively. It has a very warm feeling to it, which, as I've mentioned a few times on this podcast, is something I care a lot. I mean, that, that tends to endear films to me. And yeah, the acting is great. It's it's a pretty great film, I think. it's Though it's not my favorite, I think it's probably the favorite to win, <laughs> if we want to speculate. Oh, oh, yeah, I think I agree with that. Yeah, a film I, I really, really liked uh, for all of those reasons. Uh, no, yeah, I agree completely. And I think when I was talking about class, I was talking about uh, Guida, who, of course, ends up living in the favela and uh, has a very rough life. But yes, the family itself is, uh, <laughs> is middle class. And... Uh, I, I think the thing I want to really pick up here is also the style that you talk about. I mean, that is really the highlight of this film for me. I mean, you have the emotional bond between the sisters as well. But, uh, I mean, that that style, it's so evocative. It's so incredibly beautiful. And it's vibrant. Yeah, vibrant is, is a good word. Yeah. I, I think it just... It's one of those films that through its style and through its characters as well managed to just become very emotionally evocative. It's kind of just paints this picture of the situation rather than just telling the story and just brings out and amplifies the vibrant and the sensual in them. It adds in this this sense of essentially their life and the vibrancy and and just their longing for for something different, for something better, and just uh, without spoiling anything, essentially being turned away at at any turn. So it's it's just so beautifully crafted and and also beautifully acted and everything else. But as someone who's usually drawn to to style, I mean, I just want to say that the way this film is shot, it, it's beautiful, it's different, and it, it's genuinely spectacular and something to seek out this film for. The the epic storylines spanning decades also as well. I mean, this is really one of the absolute highlights of this festival. I love hearing all the praise for An Invisible Life because it is my favorite film of the festival. For all the reasons you mentioned and, and many more, it is a beautifully shot film. From the very first scenes, we're drawn into the close connection of these two sisters. And it's a really magical kind of poetic experience there's a hypnotic use of, of color and music some great locations and and costumes it's got this exotic feel to it and like you said chris the storyline that spans generations and it's a really emotional evocative story that i, I found it an incredibly overwhelming experience and films like this this is why i i love film so much it's these kind of experiences that really take you on a, a journey that you wouldn't get to experience in, in your life. 
in your lifetime and it's it's just fascinating something that uh, really resonated with me uh, i also want to bring up just how emotionally intuitive it is in just what it cuts out as well because it, it's not a film that just tells you a straightforward story which would have been completely melodramatic it cuts out a lot of key points in the storyline it, it just jumps on to specific uh, from specific events and emotions and feelings to others. You kind of have to fill in the blanks some of the times. And I, I think that makes it even more striking and even more poetic. And uh, it, it really is an emotional epic. Yeah, and I do think the, um, what you said about the, the vibrancy of how it's shot, it's, it's really important. I, I didn't really insist on that. But yeah, the use of color here is, is remarkable. And it really goes with the um, heightened emotions of this film, which, I mean, it's a melodrama. It's unabashedly so and I think people sometimes use melodrama as a pejorative but it's not it's just a type of film and this is a great example of, of a melodrama I really love the sense of, of heartbreak and, and tragedy at the, the centre of the story and one of the scenes that really um, made it work for me was where uh, the t- hang on I'm going to go into spoilers aren't I no I'll <laughs> 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 yeah I'll, I'll leave it at that it was a brilliant experience. I wouldn't want to take that away from anyone else. So, yeah, just watch this film. <laughs> yes, please do. And moving from uh, your favourite of festival, Tom, to Cure's favourite, Ruben Brandt, collector. Uh, do you want to do the introduction for this one, Mathieu? Uh, sure, sure. So Ruben Brandt is an animated film, the only animated film in this, in this section. And um, it's, it's a Hungarian animated film. And it tells this story, essentially, of a man who is a psychiatrist specialized in art psychiatry. So he basically does therapy through art for his patients. And it so happens that all of his patients are criminals. And it turns into, very quickly, it turns into a a heist film about, uh, you know, uh, taking these pieces of art from all over the place. And essentially, it becomes this to be a therapy for the main character. But really, the plot here, it, it works, it's, it's functional, but it's not really the point. The point of the film is the style and the, the animation style, CG animation, but it has this surreal uh, approach to it, the way the characters are drawn. You have many characters with three eyes or with horse faces and stuff like that. It's very influenced by Dadaism and surrealism. And it has this this feeling of just kind of throwing everything at the wall and it's always moving. I think at first when I started watching the film, I was a little worried about the quality of the animation. I suspect it's not a huge budget. And there's this first scene is on a train and there's a snail on the window and it just kind of looks terrible. And, and I was thinking, oh, this is going to be rough. But actually the way the director uses the virtual camera, he's just always moving in a way that you cannot see the the maybe sometimes low quality of the animation and it just doesn't bother you at any point because because it has this surreal feeling it also helps make it all work uh, and yeah i i really love this it's it's just very funny it's very enjoyable i was just f- smiling throughout it it's it has this propulsive energy and at the same time it has this this story that works that tells an emotional story about this main character who is it's essentially a story about the transformational power of arts on us, both for good and bad. It crams a lot of ideas into the film, and I think the animation style works really well because it incorporates 
uh, techniques from the artists that are referenced throughout the film. And I really enjoyed the surreal nightmares where famous works of art were coming to life and, and terrorizing the, the main character. There's just so many nice touches and flourishes throughout this. I really enjoyed the lounge covers of Britney Spears and Radiohead. They were not what I was expecting at all. And it sounds incredibly strange, but it, it works really well in, in this film. It, it's a very strange film, but it embraces its weirdness. And that's its strength, really. Although I'm not a um, huge admirer of the art world per se, I think that it touches upon most of the famous artists that almost everyone's going to be familiar with. So there's lots to enjoy whether you are a passionate art fan or whether you're, you know, not really uh, not really into that. But I really, really enjoyed this. It's a, it's a unique and unusual animation that just does something very different. And I think Ruben Brandt is also one of those that are quite a quite possible uh, winner of the festival. I think it's uh, it's a film that uh, gets pretty universal uh, praise. It was also a favorite among the program. I think it was there, the one essentially everyone agreed on. And I, I really just want to spend a lot of time talking about the st the style here because it's just you you essentially have pieces of art like that is the style all characters are designed as pieces of art stealing art working about art thinking about art it's a film on about it's just this repeat repetition of meta elements i think what i said about the film is kitchen loving it and it's just it, 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 the style is what, probably the most unique animation style you've seen rather to be more plain and less uh, bombastic. It, it, it is a uniquely designed animated film. I think anyone who enjoys animated films need to seek out Ruby Brandt Collector because it is unique in this way. Now, in terms of the plot, I agree, it works. Though this was definitely the weak part of the film. I mean, it really is a heist film. And honestly, if you had changed animation style, I, I, I this could have been a Pixar film. You know, it, it's <laughs> like uh, the Incredibles. It, it starts off with, you know, this very traditional car chase uh, between Thief and Detective with jumps and kicks and uh, dances, instant escapes, lots of action, lots of little humor elements. Uh, and then it just ties in with, uh, you know, so much relatively plain suspense and humor. So I, I think this works. It's fun. It's exciting. It, it's 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 essentially a, a plotting for everyone, something everyone can enjoy. But it's just elevated so much by this unique animated style, which turns into this you know, really surreal and unique experience, which which is just beautiful to watch. And I, I don't think I'll forget the, the visuals in this film. Yeah, I didn't think of The Incredibles, but you're right. It's basically the Dada version of The Incredibles, and that's great. As well as being playful and, and funny, it goes to some quite dark places as well, with the nightmares and the, the psychological aspects and the exploration of, of trauma. And it's really that, that that sets it aside from other animations. Yeah, yeah, right from the start. It, it definitely, again, art is transformative. That can be great, but that can also be completely traumatizing. And I think that's kind of what the film is doing all the time. It's mostly fun, but yeah, you're right. It also goes into some horror-ish territory at times and quite successfully. 
And moving on to the very last film of the main slate, The Seen and the Unseen, which is a fairly heartwarming, though still fairly minimalistic and restrained tale of a set of twins, young twins, a boy and a girl. The boy has a disease. It's slowly eating him away. And the girl essentially tries to use imagination, play, playing into Indonesian folklore and just uh, exuberating this kind of playful, youthful imagination versus, uh, you know, the bleak reality. And I think it's a very interesting work. I think it has some very uh, striking uh, visuals as well, but it's also, at least to me, a bit of a slim film. So I liked it, but it's not one of the standouts of the festival. Uh, what was uh, your impressions? I agree when you say that it's a, a slim film, so to speak. It's quite slow and pondering, and little really happens. The imagery is nice, although it didn't do much for me at all, to be honest. There wasn't enough for me to, to grab hold of, either emotionally or in terms of a, a, an intriguing storyline. So although it was great to look at, and there were some relatively striking moments towards the end that, that took me by surprise it was one of the weaker efforts for the for the festival yeah not, not a lot to grab a hold of uh, is is how i would put it as well i had a lot of trouble engaging with this um you know it's it's very slow and ponderous which is fine but when you don't get into it it can get a little difficult uh, to follow yeah, and, and Chris, you mentioned um, the Indonesian folklore or philosophy tied to it. Apparently, the title, the Sin and the Unseen, that's apparently a, a key philosophical concept in, 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 in that culture. And I felt like I was missing some pieces to maybe get this film. It's clearly about grief, and it's using this, you know, it's these two twins, and there's this whole metaphor going on with the eggs. There was a lot of stuff going on here that here. In the end, I, I just... I think it's at its best. It has this kind of entrancing effect, which it didn't really have on me. And you mentioned um, how it looks, the cinematography, and in a lot of obscurity that's going on. But you remark, but yeah, for a good third of the film, I just could not see much. So yeah, I had a lot of trouble with this one. No, I can completely see that. I think uh, personally, I am more drawn into contemplative cinema, though. But just being slow is not enough. But I do think that the lingering scenes uh, had an emotional resonance, especially as you can... Re the child acting here is actually really strong and you can really feel the bond between them. I think it's done beautifully uh, well. And I think it's also a really nice contrast between the very stripped back way the film is shot uh, and created and the more exuberant way of the young girl's imagination. And I think that's the highlight for me. I, I think I'm also missing out on a lot of the cultural elements there, which, which might have made it an even better film. But uh, it, it worked, but like I said, it was a slim film. It reminded me a bit, maybe this is a, a cheap comparison to make just because of the region and, and kind of the style, but it reminded me a bit of the films of Apishat um, Pong Verastakul, uh, which I'm not a huge fan of, or at least what I've seen. Uh, I mean, I'm guessing, Chris, you, you might like that better than me in general. I don't know about Tom. I think that's quite a good comparison to make and I share your view on that, Matthew. Both of these filmmakers really do much for me from what I've seen. 
they both seem to have a lot that you can read into between the lines and interpret in various ways. But if a film doesn't captivate me enough to want to do that, then it's kind of failed from my perspective. Uh, no, I can definitely see the comparisons to, uh, and I've got a British name, but uh, where's that good? So I, I do think that aspect works, but like I think we're all saying, it, it was a bit of a too slim film for most of us. And I think that is the reception it is getting as, as well. So uh, that's actually the entire main slate. And I don't think we can go through every other <laughs> section in, de- in detail, but uh, are, are there any of the other sections that particularly uh, stand out to you guys? And uh, which ones are you uh, most active in? My affinity for the horror genre meant that the Just Before Dawn selection was on my radar as soon as it was announced. I'd already seen The Night Eats the World, which I thought was quite an effective take on the zombie genre. But the other three films were all new to me, and I've got to say that Bliss was the standout there. Um, It's another one that has this hallucinatory imagery, and it's just a, a brilliant bad trip um, which focuses on a young artist who's is trying to survive and make it um, through the, the work that she creates and it's really fascinating uh, film from Joe Vegas. Interested to know what you guys thought of it if it's one that you've seen? Fortunately no and uh, I don't have as you for uh, horror so I, I actually never participated just before dawn it's one of the categories that kind of gets uh, put on the side for me chris i'm shocked and appalled what are you doing you need to investigate horror. <laughs> so sorry so sorry <laughs> i'll forgive you this once maybe next year you check out the slate <laughs> yeah i haven't seen it and i think what's kind of kept me from going for that section is the the chinese film i have nothing against chinese blockbusters i mean i don't tend to like them but that's fine it's just that it's a sequel, and I guess uh, my personal completionism uh, would force me to watch the previous films, and that would be a lot of uh, a time sink. So. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> I actually completely agree with you there, Matthew, because I've not watched the Chinese one either, and although I do want to, like you, I would need to watch the previous films, even if they're only loosely connected. So rather than going back and watching them, because we've got limited time in the festival and so many films, that's the one I've skipped out of the Just Before Dawn section so that I can spend time watching more films from the other section. But I will hopefully still check it out at some time. What about you, Mathieu? What was your favourite uh, section? And which ones have you been working on? Yeah, so I've been working on three other sections. I've completed two. Um, the animation one, which is pretty strong, but there's no, not a huge standout for me. Uh, I guess in terms of what I hadn't seen before, I quite like the Virus Tropical, which is a Colombian coming-of-age story it's, uh, with a pretty minimalistic uh, animation style. And uh, I quite like that one. But I also did the Latin America section, which I was quite uh, excited for. Generally, this festival has a very Latin American bend to it. It's kind of in all the, all the sections. And my favorite there was a film that I won't spend too much time on because I think we might talk about it in another podcast. Uh, but that's... Um, Pajajos de Verano, uh, Birds of Passage. Oh, yes. Uh, and yeah, it's this kind of Scarface meets, um, meets Macbeth <laughs> uh, story. I, I, I feel there's a very Shakespearean <laughs> feel to it. It's uh, gorgeous and uh, yeah, really, really great. I, I like that one a lot. And as I mentioned before, the other one is from a section I haven't quite finished yet, uh, the Europe section, and that's Lilo Tresor, or Treasure Island. And it's a very simple documentary about 
how do you call it, a leisure station, a leisure, leisure station, I guess. Um, how do you say that, Tom, actually? That you haven't seen it, right? I've not seen, no, it, um, so I'm not sure what you're referring to. Leisure it's, it's leisure. basically... Yes, it's, 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 it's essentially like a, uh, it's not quite an amusement park. With Treasure Island is that it managed to turn in what is essentially just a closed off beach area with some additional shops and, and, and things into, you know, this magical dreamland. And, uh, I, I think this film does so many really great things. I didn't love it the way you did. I think it has flaws, but it, like, as just this fairy tale, this dream of summer, it, it, it just works so well. Like, it, it opens up, and I just love the opening scene with these children. They're trying to get in. They can't get in because they don't have a guardian with them. So they sneak through a river and uh, through a, this little mini forest and come out and discover the beach, which is kind of our entry to this world. And it's just like this, all of these little mini stories and character portraits of these people enjoying summer and experiencing this beach and the, the magic of the island in general. And it, that part of it just works so well. That sounds fascinating. It's one that I haven't checked out yet, so we'll try and get around to that. I also enjoyed uh, Virus Tropical, Matteo. I found it quite similar in style to, well, not necessarily overly similar, but it reminded me of Persepolis, um, another great coming-of-age tale, a really interesting animated style. So I did like that. Yeah, and just just to get back for a second on on Lilo Trésor, I think a lot of what we part of the reason why I enjoyed it so much is also the current context. It felt very refreshing to me. To see such a celebration of diversity, of, you know, the kind of, of, uh, well, for me, of France as a land where people can come and live <laughs> from other places, uh, which is maybe not always the case, but at least in this film, it feels like it because it's, it takes place actually not, not very far from where I live in the Parisian region. And so it's mostly young people there, but because not only, but a lot of young people who come to have fun in the sun and, uh, and yeah, it's it's a region that is not super rich uh, generally, and so it's very diverse, as you can maybe imagine. And yeah, it's it's very positive overall. I think I mean it's not naive. It's not a naive film, but it really plays to me like a celebration, as you said, of summer and maybe of the you know of taking the time of leisure. Really, of <laughs> it's a celebration of that, and it's just lovely. I yeah, I, I was really touched by this film. Um, which for such a simple documentary is, is, I think, quite something. I'm just having a look now through the other films in the uh, European selection, and I completely forgot that Corpus Christi was part of the festival because that is a film that I saw either earlier this year or, or last year, and I absolutely love it. We did go into it in quite some depth in the Best Films of 2019 podcast, so we won't go too much into it but it's a brilliant polish drama very bleak and depressing and very gripping throughout so that is another highlight which i hope many of us have, have checked out during the festival and the european section seems to be a bit of a hit uh, as well this year which is which i'm quite uh, happy about 
It also has nonfiction from Olivia Rasayas, which I guess is a slightly bigger film, especially as it has Juliette Binoc. But I, mean, I think that's another film that I really enjoyed, though it does fail quite a bit in what it tried to do. I know Rasayas will make a film about technological changes, and instead it just made a film about people working with technological changes and uh, sleeping around. But <laughs> I, I, think it's a, I think it's a film that uh, he says it himself, it's inspired by Romer, and I think that first opening scene in particular Particular really struck me as a Romeresque, if you will. It's just, it's just such great, uh, intense, small dialogue with just these people meeting up at an office, going to a cafe. And it's just so, like, it, it has this, I guess you could call it self pretensions or just autofiction of, of the kind of life I'm sure Aseas is familiar with. But in terms of just delivering, a lot of quality dialogue and set pieces with people speaking and, and communicating. I think it's, it's it's one of those great talking films, even though in, in terms of just everybody sleeps with everybody, it's, uh, I guess it's very stereotypically French as well. Um, yeah, the, the conversations are about, a lot of them at least, are about the, technolo- the technological change. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, and they are quite interesting conversations. I think it's, a, it's a film I liked, but I had... I, I never knew exactly what, what the film felt about these characters because, um, yeah, they're very stereotypical, very, very much exactly the idea that you would have of Parisian elites, uh, discussing these things and very dismissive. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to say if the film is meant to be an indictment of these people or if it's just, you know what, what life is in Paris. I, I, I mean, I don't know. It's it's inter- it's an interesting film. I, I think it works well. <laughs> it's it's a little strange. I'm I'm not sure exactly what the tone um, Asayas was going for, but yeah, I, I think it mostly works. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll agree with that. And I'm not going to go too much uh, into it, but I think the section that's best for me is uh, the art house section. Or that's the section I go for every single year as well my most of my affinities lie but this year it was a bit broken for me because i had seen three out of three out of four <laughs> before the festival started so it just wasn't uh, a big time to just explore but i mean in this you have synonyms you have vitalina varela and you have sunset as well as the dead and the others which is the one that i hadn't seen and also the one that i didn't love though it is a very good indigenous drama but these three other films are just wonderfully stylized <laughs> like you have uh, especially especially i want to say this throw out recommendation for pedro costa's vitalina varela which honestly is one of the most striking visual films of 2019 we didn't speak about it in our top five episode it's um, it's not even in my top 10 list just barely misses out but in terms of contrast uh, it's just so beautiful i mean the contrast is so strong that sometimes faces are even a little bit hard to see but outside of that one floor it's just so striking so uh, unusually done except perhaps for Costa's general uh, uh, filmography and it, it's just a film I think will be talked about for a very long time so I, I think if you want to see something slow poetic and just visually stunning please seek out Vitalina Varela. I think it's it's quite amusing to confess that I've not seen any of the art house selection I think it's uh, my version of the just before dawn theme. <laughs> So now it's my turn to be mad at you. But I think this is the great thing about the festival too, that there really is something for everybody. So 
both jam to our niches and then see the rest. Definitely. And there are films within this selection that interest me, um, just not as much as some of the films that grab my attention in other sections. So I will hopefully be seeking out some of these films. But I mean, that that's the beauty of the festival. There's such a large and diverse slate. There's so many films to, to get through. Even by the time the festival is over, there's a chance that a lot of the participants have still got so much more to explore. At the risk of making Chris mad, I mentioned in the 2019 episode that um, uh, Vitali Navarella is probably the, the one I most wanted to see of, of 2019 that I haven't seen. And here we are, what, six months later, I still haven't seen it. And I also <laughs> missed Sunset and Synonym. Synonym especially I was interested in, but I don't know, I, I missed it in theatres. And I don't think I would see them now because... I mean, the art house section is, I think, the longest section. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. No, still just four. No, no, but yeah, but I mean, in terms of one time. Because <laughs> I looked at that to, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> to choose, you know, I have a limited amount of time in my life. So, yeah, I don't think I would watch it right now, but yeah, I, I still would watch it definitely at some point. <laughs> Fair enough. And I'll recommend it. And uh, I, I've also seen the animated section. I, I try to make this uh, something I do every year as well because it, it's really nice to see the variety of animation selected. And this year, they really did a great job in selecting four completely different animated styles yeah. as well. I wasn't as big on virus tropical as you I, I see the persepolis comparison but it was to me just a very plain story elevated by the animation and the humor etc didn't work for me i think the one film i most sad didn't completely blow me over was uh, the big bad fox and other tales because the titular story in big bad fox uh, which is the big bad fox it, it's just glorious it's, it's it's a really nice story probably that alone would have been the best of the festival but the, the rest of the tales fell a little bit shorter for me yeah, it was also actually my favorite from that section, but the thing is I saw it three years ago. And so I, I remember having a great time in theaters, but yeah, I, I just couldn't tell you much about it. <laughs> Let's just say then that the, the animation style is absolutely fantastic, kind of stripped back, simple French animation, just so evocative. It's about talking animals with a large character gallery, different stories, and I think it works really well, though I didn't quite love it. And that section also has the film that's probably most talked about among cinephiles, which is Bunuel in the Labyrinth of the Turtles, which maybe isn't as stupid. I mean, obviously, it doesn't come close to Bunuel's films, but it, it's it's interesting just because it is about Bunuel. And I think it's a, as a film, it's more of a personal drama, I suppose, with some surrealistic touches. But I think it works. Yeah, the Bunuel film I enjoyed. It has a bit of a biopic problem in some sense in that it kind of lacks a point. <laughs> I mean, it's nice to see a film about Bunuel. It's it's it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. it's well done. Uh, I enjoyed it, but yeah, it it's it has that limitation for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing it does really well is trying to show Bunuel just being a surrealist to actually caring about something, and just and I think what does work to an extent, though, I think the film really works best is just the relationship between Bunuel and his friend. It's just this idea of him consistently trying to push in surrealism and just essentially sabotaging uh, this very social project. And I think that works too. But but yes, it's, it, I agree that it does also suffer a bit from this biography problem. And I mean, we should probably mention, the uh, I think, the highest profile film in the whole festival in the Asia section, uh, Long Day's Journey Into Night. It's a film that I suspect will win the audience award. I think it looks like it. And, and anyway, um, yeah, it's this film by Began who made KD Blues earlier on. I, I didn't mention it earlier because it's a film that I was slightly underwhelmed by, maybe only because I loved uh, KD Blues so much and it was such a surprise for me when I watched it uh, that 
45 minutes or something uh, long shot was just so impressive, especially not knowing beforehand. So when I watched Long Day's Journey tonight, I actually watched it in, in theaters and in 3D. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I don't know. It, it just wasn't as impressive to me. And, and maybe, huh. maybe it's because I was expecting it. The 3D was nice, I guess, but uh, I did not find that it, it transformed it that much. I don't know. It's a good film. I liked it. I think it's, it still has that quality, that kind of mystical quality that Kylie Blues had. But yeah, it, it, I, I just didn't uh, fall in love with it uh, as I might have expected. Yeah, I, I can completely see that. It's an endless long shot. And, and I journey into night, especially when, you know, he's gliding yeah. down that long uh, line, for instance. It's, there's, there's some elements there that could work. But yeah, I mean, I'm still looking at which more sections to jump into. I think Latin American was good at that, with La Lorna being one of the highlights. I think that's one that really drove on the uh, suspense and the mood, even though that's also a flawed film. But yeah, the next one I'm most likely to jump into would be Indy. And that's broadly because of A Colony, actually. That's the film that I really want to see from that section. Yeah, and it also deals quite nicely with the indigenous population of the area. And it's, it's a great storyline and quite a beautiful heartfelt film that uh, really struck a chord with me yeah so i haven't seen that one uh it looks great the indie section is one i hope to do before the end and yeah that film very good so good to hear another recommendation really happy to hear another recommendation and on that note i think we'll keep watching films this last week i think there's a lot more to uh, discover i think there's a lot of films we also didn't have time to speak about here just for the purposes of making sure that this is a short concise episode that we can get out as fast as possible and just share the views of these wonderful films that our programmers have selected for us and, and yeah i mean icm uh, forum F uh, film festival is held every year in november and december it's absolutely wonderful if uh, you're not a member of ICM from and not participated in the festival yet i mean please do it's just such a great way to find films not discuss films because we have these threads open for all of these uh, sections and there's so many good takes and so many good reviews to read so that's definitely recommended to all our listeners thank you so much for joining us today and we'll see you again soon you have been listening to Talking Images, the official podcast of ICMforum.com. <laughs>